listeners, welcome to the next episode of Coffee Chronicles, Stories Over Coffee. I'm Joseph Zaleta, your host and founder of Black Six Coffee Trading Company, a veteran-owned for-profit company that funds its own nonprofit, the Black Six Project. Today, we're going to be interviewing one of my former partners, an EMT that works in New York City. He was my partner probably a few, uh, close to close to eight years ago. And he tells us a story about how him and his department have handled through COVID. He works in Brooklyn for the fire department of New York and inside their EMS uh, side of the fire department. He tells a story about handling COVID during these tough times while also going through paramedic school. And then later on, he's forced to face with the heavy protests that have been going on in, in New York City. And he currently works in Brooklyn, so he's able to tell us a little insight on what's going on in the world out there and the difficulties that we're facing. So without further ado, an interview with Mark Krokowski. up welcome to the next episode of coffee chronicles stories over coffee in this episode we're gonna interview a former partner of mine uh, since uh, way back i don't think we've seen yeah. each other in quite a while yeah, it's been a it's been a little bit <laughs> yes mark uh, how are you doing today good good can't complain all right uh so mark is an emt would you tell us where sure uh, i'm an emt with the fdny uh, I've been with the city for about three years now. Um, I met Joe when I used to work for private ambulance services on Long Island. Uh, that, that I have been doing probably since 2007. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's definitely been a while. Yeah, and today we are having our morning cup of coffee, and then there's also one of the few times I get to interview someone in person and enjoy our coffee together. So. Both of us have our thermoses here. He's got his. He's got his. Uh, what are you? What are you drinking in your thermos there? This is actually one of yours. Oh, it's it the, is. the landslide Kabungan. Oh. Is that how you say it? Uh, Kibungan. Kibungan. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I you say it better that. than most. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the uh, I got the whole bean and ground it myself. Whole nine yards. Yeah. So uh, Ooh, a true artisan. That. That's right. Yeah. And today I am drinking our Brazil one save. Yeah. Ground this up last night and then put it on like a auto set for uh, this morning. Nice. All right. So, Mark's, Mark, how long have you been at EMT now? Uh, all totaled, um, I think I got my card in 2005. So, close, about 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's longer than me. I think I got mine in 2006, end mm-hmm. of 2006. So, You've been working 50 now since for three years, right? For three years, yeah. 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 So, and yeah. where are you stationed at? Uh, currently, I'm stationed in Brooklyn North, mm-hmm. uh, Station 57. It's right next to Woodhull Hospital. Oh, Bed-Stuy okay. and uh, Williamsburg, right in, right in between. Yeah, very busy area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so would you say it was a lot different than uh, our days in Long Island slash Queens? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, we, we, had, uh, we had some... Some busy days, but in uh, yeah Queens East, and even when you we had our units in Queens West, it just yeah uh, you had steady days. But <clears throat> yeah, some of these days that uh, that I've been working, it's it's twelve hours and it's nonstop. The the second you give up your available signal, you immediately are going to get hit with another one right on top of it. So you just have to come to work ready to work, and that's that's about it. And, you know, like career-wise, I consider it should be the opposite as you develop your career. <laughs> right. You should be going to right, uh, right. more of like your retirement ambulances. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's uh, – and so, I mean, I've been an EMT for a long time. But I, I, I always used to say when I, when I worked the private ambulances that I wasn't sure I wanted to do EMS as a career. I always had my eye on – something higher but I didn't know which way I wanted to go a lot of people go towards nursing Mm -hmm. uh, but I wasn't sure I wanted to do like clinical medical stuff so Uh I was actually looking more towards um, the administration type angle like do more of the office Mm -hmm. work higher level like planning uh, service lines and things like that 
but and I I tried um, I tried to do that for a couple of years mm-hmm. actually, and I even I left EMS uh, in 2013. I always kept my card current. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't actively working EMS, and I uh, I did a few temp jobs for a little while for a couple of years here and there, trying to make my way up, and it just didn't seem to be going anywhere. So when I kept I kept my card active, and I kept my um, my city lists active. I always, I always take every civil service test I can. When FDNY called me, and it didn't really seem like the temp job I was in had a lot of room to advance. Mm-hmm. I just came back to EMS and figured I would just take every advancement opportunity possible. So it's been three years, and now I'm finally in paramedic school, which was something I should have done a long time ago, <laughs> but you know, decided to go a different route with it but you know better late than never but you are seeing like uh, almost every corner of like emergency services then the administrative (laughs) the bls and now you're back into uh paramedic school yeah 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 Yeah, so uh you know a lot of people i think would want to hear what's been going on uh in your city during the past few months uh how how have things been out there i know uh We've been hitting record numbers in 911 calls. Like, how have you guys been dealing with this? Yeah, it's uh, so I had a particularly weird experience with it because I was in paramedic school when COVID hit. So the first, I guess, what was it, January, February, the first cases that were popping up around China and and Italy. Mm -hmm. Um, So we hadn't quite started class yet, but that was still a far off thing. And like, you know, it's in the news, but we're figuring out, hopefully it doesn't get here. And if it mm-hmm. does, whatever, it'll be a quick thing. Um, and then the news reports are getting worse. Uh-huh. But then we, we started class in February and it was always in the background. Like we, they were always saying, you know, oh, in the event that, you know, COVID comes to America and, uh-huh. and, uh, and becomes as bad as it was in Italy and mm-hmm. And in the event things have to shut down, obviously, what's the first thing that's going to shut down? All the classrooms. Instruction. Mm-hmm. So, but they kept saying over and over, they're like, I, I just don't see it becoming a problem. None of us saw it becoming a problem mm-hmm. here. We just figured, you know, our, our system is equipped to handle it. We see it coming. Uh-huh. Like, and uh, so we started um, just, so we have a very big class. They've been putting really big classes in. So our classes are roughly 90 people. Wow. So they already divided the class of 90 into groups of four just for the sake of skills days and rotation. Uh-huh. So you're not having 90 people flood all time. the city so they hospitals. Rotate different. So they mm-hmm. rotate, right. So we already were divided into fours, which made it a little easier. So they said, okay, you know what? To um, make things simpler on the city guidelines, we're not all going to meet in the same classroom anymore. Because there's a big auditorium uh-huh. that we'd meet in. So they just go... Group A meets here, B meets here, C meets here, D uh-huh. meets here. So we would meet separately. So that would just like already your distance. Uh-huh. And then um, it just little by little. And they kept saying, you know what? Hopefully it's just a week or two and this thing will blow over. Oh, it's just going to be this. It'll uh-huh. blow over. It'll blow over. And they finally had set us up for remote lectures. Okay. Because uh, they, they gave us all an iPad and they, uh-huh. they lo- logged it into the system so we could just um, do, sit there at home and listen to the lecture. So they're like, so now we don't even have to be in the building most of the time. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking, they're, they're telling the, the city, you know, this is really important. We really need the manpower. Let's mm-hmm. just keep this class going. And then the, the day that we did our first remote lecture, they're like, well, we're going to start with some bad news. <laughs> on the lecture? Yeah, on the lecture. <laughs> like, like PowerPoint one, bad yeah, news. Bad news, exactly. <laughs> like after today, you're all going back to your stations. Okay, and, so uh, when you go through paramedic school with FDNY, do you uh, have to do your regular tours too, or at least half of them? No, that's the beauty of doing it through the city is they um, – you completely come off the road okay. and you just go on to, uh, it's not, it's not nine to five, but it's eight hours, five days a week. Uh, so it's so Monday through Friday. Hours, yeah. Though. You complete your hours. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the way they've been doing it so they can do, they can run two classes a year. They've been staggering it. So they'll do one class in September. Mm-hmm. That's usually 7am to 3pm. Uh-huh. And then once February rolls around, they'll start another class. Mm-hmm. Um, 3 p.m. 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Okay. That's the one that I am, uh-huh. am currently in, and the class runs about nine months, 
mm-hmm. that they can, you know, there's like a, at all times there's at least one class in, but sometimes there's two. Mm-hmm. And at the moment they just put in 180 uh, EMT students also. So that now they're, they're really trying to get things going and get uh-huh. more people out on the streets, which is, which is good. Uh-huh. But um, they, even before <clears throat> this came along, there was a manpower shortage. Yes. Before COVID. Right. Right, yeah. right. And uh, people, especially with medics. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a, a large amount have moved to the fire department. The fire Constantly. Side. Yeah, that's always that's always a thing because mm-hmm. the, the uh, it's I, I mean, it, it just it, it is it is just the way New York City is structured. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few places where a paramedic is not actually considered a promotion over firefighter. There, there's a lot of departments that integrate the two. Mm-hmm. So you can be a fire medic, things like yeah. that all over the country. But in in the city firefighter is like the the ultimate mm-hmm. of, of the fdny so yeah if you um no matter how high you climb in ems if you get called for fire a lot of people jump ship and go and go to the fire yeah. side which i mean it, and if that's what you want to do like like that, that's great pocket, it's good for them the it's good the for the schedule. pocket it's definitely good for the pocket and the schedule mm-hmm. but it it kills the it, it gives a huge hit to the ems service every time because there's all they always put in a big class yeah and tons of people from ems are on any given fire list so all of a sudden you just lose a lot of personnel uh, i think and, that's something uh, yeah. we should we could do another podcast on. <laughs> yeah that's a whole other topic <laughs> yeah. right there is uh and, and retention they lose, of they lose their you know EMS, yeah. uh you know their health uh treatment protocols because they just become a regular now uh, yeah. emt on right. the on a engine pretty or, much or cfr if um i'm trying to think i think there are i'm not 100 percent sure how it works i know i know they're all cfrs mm-hmm. um and i know that if you're on a unit where you are just a cfr mm-hmm. even if you're an emt mm-hmm. as per work you're a cfr yeah. like you're not you you go back down uh-huh. um but the, I mean, the one upside that I've noticed uh-huh. is that you have a lot more people on the fire side who do have a good respect and knowledge of EMS. That is so, true. like, you'll run into people who, you know, they, they enjoyed the job while they were there and they yeah. know what to do. So, like, yeah. if they show up first on scene, like, they've already got all the information, the patient's on yes. oxygen, like, everything's, everything's good to go. And it's uh-huh. like, oh, wow, look at that. That's, yeah. that's nice. I think I've had a, <laughs> a call where the... <clears throat> The monitor wasn't facing me mm. on a cardiac arrest, right. and there were two firefighters that are uh, paramedics. Yeah. Uh, before, and they were like, "Uh, oh, Joe, you have a rhythm, but you have no pulse. It's PA." So we're like, "Okay, <laughs> thank you." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thanks. It's always yeah, it's always like, funny. Do you want? They were like, "Do you want me to turn it around?" I'm like, "Uh, you can read it. That's fine. Good, yeah, ever yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, I trust you." So. <laughs> Yeah, now with uh, you, you guys got like some bad news on your first yes, lecture. Yes, yes, yes. First remote lecture. Finally, mm-hmm. they had set it all up. It was looking good. And then they're like, yeah, you're all going back to the street. So the week we came back, a lot of people had already gone out sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so at my station, several members of my own truck were already out sick. Oh. Um, and... A few more within the station were out, too. And so they, they already had a shortage. And I just, I just pretty much came to work being aware. Because my, my truck at the time was on eight-hour tours. Mm-hmm. It, it had been on 12s, and it's gone back to 12s. But it was on eights when I came back. Mm-hmm. And you can get mandated in New York State law. You'd be mandated up to 16 mm-hmm. at any given time. So I just showed up to every morning, like... They, they'd start feeling you out like like uh do you like are, what are you feeling for the the night and i'm just like just put me on like i i know it's gonna happen just put me on so those first few weeks i was just working every day i came in i knew i was just gonna do a 16 hour tour because they had they had such a shortage of people uh-huh. and i just came in ready for it i'm like uh-huh. let's just do it let's go yeah and um I, I even I picked up a few overtime tours as well. Uh-huh. Like so, it was th- that week that we came back. I believe was the week where the call volume finally spiked to over seven thousand. Oh, okay. And, uh, so it wasn't that first day, but it was it was the high, it was mid six thousands, mm-hmm. and by by the midweek it was already over over. Yeah, seven. this was like yeah. I remember we were watching it. It was like over two weeks that yeah. we were like. It really spiked. It went way, way up. So this was end of March, I think. Yeah, yes. yeah, okay. had to be like middle end of March, uh-huh. and uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. Like I and 
I remember thinking like I've never been more wrong about what I thought something was gonna <laughs> be like because uh-huh. here, here we all are. We're sitting in medical school, sitting where we're like, yeah, a couple of people got sick, but we're not really sure. It could be f- just flu season. Like, cause uh-huh. some people did get sick and they turned, they came out negative. Mm-hmm. And like some people, like, oh, I got sick. Oh, it was just strep. Oh, it was just the flu. It was regular stuff that uh-huh. people might get in the winter. And so we're all going, ah, you know, we don't know how bad it is. Uh, hopefully this will all blow over in two weeks and we'll all be back in class and like blah, blah, blah. And no, it, it was, <laughs> that was not the case. And uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy because there, there was a lot of places where, I mean, you were he- hearing all over the news, like that one video that leaked from Elmhurst where the one doctor mm-hmm. filmed from the, the ER. whole, from the ER. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody thought Elmhurst was the epicenter and uh-huh. they, they definitely were like uh-huh. one of the big because everybody was they, they had um they had lines that that like like these little stanchions that were yeah. directing people around the building and they were looping yeah, over remember, like, like a roller coaster line or something it was yeah crazy. it was like right outside station four yeah, six yeah. right yeah and it was because so, everybody was just flocking to the hospital hoping they could get tested mm-hmm. and I, that definitely spiked things for for that whole area, mm-hmm. and probably made a lot of people sick that or that weren't to mm-hmm. begin with. But I know from working in Brooklyn that a lot of things weren't going reported. So you'd go into some EORs, and there'd be a big sign right over the triage desk that said, "We do not test for COVID." Oh, okay. So there were just no tests being handed out uh-huh. because uh, they probably weren't any, but they they just didn't want people coming to the ER for the purposes of getting tested. And getting so it was infected. just and getting infected. Uh-huh. So there's a big sign right there, we do not test. Like, uh-huh. So that's one thing they kept everybody away. So that's data that was missed and possibly, right? yeah. Very much uh-huh. so. And I know from being in a, so like, we weren't on the road very long when they, they put in the, the policy that um, if somebody wanted to refuse medical mm-hmm. treatment, you no longer had to obtain a signature. You didn't have to call the telemetry doctor. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to get a like permission for refusal. Mm-hmm. It, as long as they had decisional capacity, mm-hmm. um, just take the RMA, but mm-hmm. don't even have them touch your stuff, like because you don't want the cross contamination. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Part. Yeah, yeah. They, there was they they got rid of signatures entirely. It was just you write your PCR and then uh-huh. that's it. And it became very weird because it's like you know for, I mean we know that a certain percentage of the people that we show up to don't actually need a hospital. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, we don't really know what's going on. We don't know if there's something else happening that they're not telling us about, if they're yeah. describing the symptoms right. So the only thing we can do is offer them, like, if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. Uh-huh. Otherwise, why don't we just go get you checked out? Uh-huh. That option could possibly have killed some people mm-hmm. like like if you if somebody's in a high-risk category mm-hmm. and like they don't tell you like yeah. some people had had uh they had the things like asthma or diabetes or even like lupus and they didn't mention it uh-huh. until far into it and i'm uh-huh. like oh no that, like that's that's, that's risky. risky that's that, that's uh, risky that's like, a risk factor that you and, should be going to right uh-huh. exactly and 90 percent of the people we were showing up to were just scared they just mm-hmm. wanted to they wanted to hear from someone in the medical industry whether they should be going or shouldn't be going or whether mm-hmm. they're okay or whether they're not. And you could tell that, like, some of them just, like, their heart rate was up. Well, uh-huh. Their vitals were spectacular across the board. But you, they're just nervous. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe they sneezed and they're like, yeah, yeah. I don't, oh, my God, like, did I get sick? They're I don't know what's going on. Right. They're feeling. And then they call 911, right? They're hyper aware to what right, they're right. feeling. So that was, that was a big um boost on the, on the call volume too because uh, a lot of people just calling because they're scared but all of all of a sudden too you had all these people who live in uh, some some of them live high up in the project some of them uh, live in an apartment building and like they're elderly and they're alone they have a visiting nurse doesn't stay all day long and they are not feeling well mm-hmm. and they're like i don't know what to do because when i feel like this i go to the hospital uh-huh. and the doctor gives me some medicine and i come home and all of a sudden, you don't know what, what to say to them because they, they call their private doctor. The private doctor's not there. They have to recommend go to the ER. Uh-huh. But then it's like, but now you've got this conflict because you go to the ERs and the doctors are, some of them were yelling at people like, like do not bring do? these patients uh, to the hospital. We're gonna, if their vitals are good, we're sending them home. Uh-huh. They shouldn't be here. And so it was, it was crazy. It was just this judgment call where you might actually be saving somebody's life by not Going bringing to the them to the ER. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was very weird. And there were even some cases that some of them I felt bad for. I'd show up and it would just be somebody who was 
maybe feeling a little bit nauseous or maybe feeling a little bit this or that, but they did not have COVID symptoms at uh-huh. all. So I explained to them the situation and said, listen, we only, another thing they, they took away policy wise was the, um, the 10 minute rule for choices on oh, what uh, ER you're going to go to. Uh-huh. So it, it was closest or nothing uh-huh. that, that became, no that's it, no options. Closest. Uh-huh. closest hospital, nothing at all. Uh-huh. And a lot of people who don't prefer their closest hospital, you tell them that and they're just like, oh, well, don't even worry about it. Like <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out. And there were some cases that were like that. And I showed up and they said, oh, you know what? Never mind. Uh, I think I'm okay. Mm-hmm. My vitals are all right. I'm just going to rest and maybe this is something else and it'll just pass. And three days later, mm-hmm. I'd be back at that same house and he is full-blown COVID, COVID symptoms, <laughs> like burning up, can barely even get a sentence out, short of breath, pulse ox sat in at like 65. Uh-huh. Like, like it, it's not like all uh-huh. bad news. Uh-huh. And then it's like... Oof, like you, you really should go to the hospital, but then they're freaking out. I'm not going there though. Yeah. I'm not going to that place, and it's just like, well, those are the ones that end up taking an Uber. Yeah, right. And uh-huh. and the the family ultimately did. I think the guy said, "All right, just take me," but he wasn't in the door five minutes, and he's like, "I want out." Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like I'm I'm calling a cab. I'm going I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it's very weird in that we're like now saying, "Hey." There's no reason for you to go to the hospital right yeah, now. Sure. Yeah, and sure. then the whole field really relies on the transport. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, but was there information given to them if they didn't want to go to the hospital on like what COVID? I mean, uh, protocol or like what they should expect. We didn't have like a handout mm-hmm. to give to them. I don't know. I don't know if nobody did. I know uh-huh. we didn't. Um, but I would. I always did my best to try to explain to everybody mm-hmm. what was going on, to the best of my knowledge, at yeah. any given point. Like, because uh-huh. obviously it was changing and, and uh-huh. all that. But there were, and and there, there were certain ERs were were different from others. Like you'd go to one ER, uh-huh. and they actually had the you know the isolation down pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like they had a lot of space. They had places to put people that they weren't right on top of each other. Uh-huh. And he had other places that were just a madhouse. Uh-huh. And the, everybody's right on top of each other. Uh-huh. It's, it's all, you know, there's some ERs that are narrow on a good day. Yeah. And that, so now even doctors can't even avoid being two feet away from a patient, uh-huh. even if they're not treating them. It's just they're right there. Yeah. So they're like, if they come in and they're like, this guy's got good vitals, I'm, I'm kicking him out the door. I'm telling mm-hmm. him to go home. Like there's, there's nothing I can do. Right. Exactly. Uh And half the time, if they weren't bad enough to be on a ventilator right away, then they're like, the only thing we're going to do here is have you rest. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. So go home and rest where you're not on top of all these people, drink fluids and Mm -hmm. hope that it gets better. And I mean, you, obviously the, uh, the, the right word I'm trying to say, the, the, the norm seemed to be that, People in these high risk categories were the ones getting sick and the ones mm-hmm. that seemed to be dying over the age of 65. Mm-hmm. If you were immunocompromised, respiratory conditions, diabetes, things mm-hmm. like that. But that wasn't always the case either. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody knew if it was like the weird underlying conditions that were undiagnosed that were getting. There were cases of, there was one where um, I brought a patient in to this one hospital. Mm-hmm. And another crew brought in a patient at the same time. And uh, the other crew's patient was this 24-year-old kid who looked fine for the mm-hmm. most part. He just looked very uncomfortable, like, like maybe he was just short of breath. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I left, got another job instantly, came, came back to the same hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I think it was the, the, the registration clerk looked at us and was like, Remember that kid mm-hmm. that was sitting right there, came in same time as your last patient? I said, yeah, like, he's gone. Like, what do, oh. you, what do you mean, gone? And they're like, he seemed pretty okay. And uh-huh. then he asked if he could use the bathroom. There was a bathroom very close. Uh-huh. And they said, yeah, sure. He stood up and immediately looked like he was going to faint. He went pale as a ghost, uh-huh. and, and then, like, he was going to faint. So they grabbed him, they put him down, they put him on oxygen right away. But they said within a matter of minutes, he went into a full-blown seizure. Seizure went into respiratory arrest, and, and he died. 24 year old and they're like we don't know why like he said he had no medical history he Uh had no diagnosed problems like things like that they were rare but they were happening Uh it was very strange and like there was a huge spike in just regular cardiac arrests and nobody had any nobody knew like most of the time they were elderly but Mm -hmm. nobody knew like if it was covid or if it wasn't because the family was like well they haven't been out 
they've mm-hmm. only interacted with us. We haven't been sick. Like, mm-hmm. so we, like, how do you, how do you know? Like maybe somebody carried it in asymptomatically. Mm-hmm. Or way and before. It, or way before, start. right, yeah. exactly. There were some people who they were, like, literally, they, they, they called us and we were at the front door. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, he's okay, but he just popped a fever last night and he was feeling a little short of breath just now, so I called. Mm-hmm. And then I go, by the time we go back upstairs, guys in full-blown cardiac arrest. Uh-huh. And and they they didn't come out of it like it was it was a crazy amount of and, and so many people are all, they're, they're arguing the numbers oh well you can't say that's COVID because they had a million other conditions oh you mm-hmm. can't say it like it's like yeah sure it, it could be but, but you can't deny right the, the, the <laughs> severe amount of coincidental cardiac events yeah right uh-huh. so and and I don't know maybe they'll figure it out one of these days what it was that it was really doing it but. It you, was a huge Do you think amount. that we were also overwhelmed so much that it's probably going to be difficult to capture that data saying that it was... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they'll have... At least we still had... They didn't like... They threw out a lot of things like getting signatures on PCRs, mm-hmm. um, even calling to... Even, even with ALS, with, with paramedics, they, they said um, there was an order that came out that even if you've rendered... ALS level treatments, IVs, things like that. No RMA. And the patient said, yeah, well, RMA, but no telemetry contact. Oh, okay. If, mm-hmm. As long as they've got decisional capacity uh-huh. and, you, and they're even, well, I think, I think the actual wording of it said, even if they are high index of suspicion, but um, so like, in other words, even if you look at them and you're like, uh, it's only going to be a matter of time before something else happens. Uh-huh. If they have a full-blown decisional capacity and they swear I am not going anywhere, uh-huh. they're like, just discontinue everything you're doing, take their RMA and go. Because uh-huh. it was just, uh, the, the docs had to be on the line for the massive amount of cardiac arrest we, we had going on and other critical patients that they needed to give orders to. Yeah, and then so, if you do transport, yeah. most of the hospitals are already overrun exactly like who's to say that yeah. you're probably going to give them the most care that they could get yeah. outside the hospital exactly or even yeah. the same mm-hmm. as if they went to the hospital yeah i found myself in an er at one point i was i, I was uh bagging a patient that wasn't even mine there was a patient that got dropped off by the uh, a medic crew. Uh-huh. The nurses basically shut down registration. Uh-huh. I was third from being registered, uh-huh. and the nurses are like, "We are way overwhelmed, way understaffed. You guys are gonna have to wait. Sorry, like that was it." And they just so we were just waiting, and all of a sudden the patient that had just been registered was turning blue, and they, <laughs> there weren't enough people, and they didn't have enough equipment. So all the all of our crews that were in the ER. Like, literally, one person had a, had a BVM, and one person, like, grabbed an oxygen tank. Somebody had to go grab one of those little uh, Christmas tree adapters uh-huh. to put on the tank. And, like, we just, I just stood there and, like, just started just breathing for the, the patient. Perfect. And then they're like, all right, let me, let's let switch out. Like, and then somebody else does it for I think all total, we were breathing for this woman for, like, half an hour, 45 minutes uh-huh. before they took her because she was critical. Uh-huh. And then we still had to wait for like another hour in the ER before we got yeah. registered. It was cre- yeah, there was there were some some like I said some ERs had a system in place. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they were going to or where they found the space or the people, uh-huh. but they had a system and it worked. Uh-huh. Some ERs were just you go in there and your half your shift is going to be spent in that ER, uh-huh. and oh, you're not cow. getting out. And they, there were some they, we, we would hear units getting called to relieve other units in, in the, the ER, ER because they were already overtime. And they wanted to get them off because, uh-huh. you know, obviously they were going to have to be back. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're going to be there for more hours. Wow. Yeah. So there was there were some there were some situations that were that were getting pretty pretty bad. But there's uh-huh. for the most part. I mean, I noticed most places figured it out uh-huh. After, at a certain point. Everything ran pretty smooth. Uh-huh. But that was a few, like those first couple of weeks were crazy. The, the weeks that you didn't know if you were going to have enough PPE, if you uh-huh. didn't know if uh, any given day, like they, they were going to run out of stuff. Like mm-hmm. we were, you'd get one N95 and we just make it work uh-huh. for, for the entire shift. And there was <laughs> even one hospital that ran out of oxygen. Oh, I didn't Yeah, even, so I didn't you think of, because like, <laughs> you reminded me, because you said that you had to use your tank yeah. <laughs> and BVM this lady right. while registering, but there was one hospital in Queens that had to get evacuated because the whole hospital uh, ran out of uh, ran oxygen, out of ox- and they had to use of some the of the, uh, the FEMA units that came uh, from out of the state, Makes all those e- uh, EMS crews <laughs> to help evacuate about like 100-something people. Yeah. But imagine yeah. something that's just 
free in the air. You run out of it in the right. hospital. Yeah, the, the, the one thing, mm-hmm. aside from maybe like bandages, that you would think a hospital wouldn't run out of. Yeah, they ran out of that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's so crazy. like in Brooklyn, how, are, how is the population handling it? Like did you, uh, did you see like people having to like... Uh, what they would normally see their loved one mm. or their elderly parent taken care of. Now they're yeah. just like, we don't know what we're going to do. The, that was, that was the, I think that was the most common answer that I heard from everybody, it, regardless of whether they wanted to send them to the hospital or not. Mm-hmm. Everybody said, we don't know what we're going to do uh-huh. because people who had an elderly loved one or multiple, there were some houses where they lived with like grandma and the great aunt mm-hmm. and they weren't necessary, and this the toughest calls were like when the everyone in the house was sick with something, but you couldn't tell if it was COVID mm-hmm. because the symptoms for COVID were usually fever, cough, mm-hmm. respiratory distress, satting low on mm-hmm. your pulse ox, things like that, and they didn't necessarily have those. Like the fever was borderline. Mm-hmm. They might be coughing a little bit here and there, but it's not severe. And mm-hmm. like, so like, you can't really tell. Like, this could just be a cold, it could mm-hmm. be the flu, it could be a respiratory infection. But so, like, you don't want to be like, okay, I don't want to send 80 year old grandma to the ER. Uh-huh. But then they're also saying, yeah, but when she's sick, she has a hard time making it to the bathroom, and everybody in the house is sick, and we can't they be can't take care taking of care of her. Uh-huh. So, we need, we need her to go somewhere. And it's like, but then you're almost throwing the choice on them like yeah but is that worth risking her life yeah and then nine times out of ten they would say no but then that same house would call back three or four times and then they'd always ultimately say no Uh i had one guy even admit to me he's like this is the third ambulance that we've had here today because we keep having the same problem Uh while we're here alone we keep Uh going we need help we got to call 911 then Uh 911 gets here they tell us what you tell us Uh and right and again we're going yeah, I guess we can't do it. Like, uh-huh. I guess we can't send her. But they just, somebody in the household would call back. Mm-hmm. We, oh, we can't take care of her. We have to. But they just had no, they had no other recourse. They didn't know yeah. what to do. There's Sometimes no it, visiting Was it then like, oh, she just needs, she needs to go to the bathroom, but we can't take care of her. Right. Would you be able to do that? Because I'm feeling like crap. Uh, the, I don't think I ever got directly asked uh-huh. do that i mean but like but this i think was there the was best probably, course of action right, yeah, without yeah. taking them well, to the hospital if there was you know, in the event usually if it was a case where i actually had to like assist in cleaning somebody up that was also a case where we would have to take them because odds are that person didn't really have decisional capacity mm-hmm. either yeah um but the uh some of the cases the uh sometimes the elderly person insisted that they wanted to go yeah they're just like you know what like i can't I, I just can't sit here uh-huh. all day like this. Like, I, I, I'll, I'd i rather roll the dice. And as much as I'm like... Was I, it also tough, too, then? Like, now we... Later on, the visitation rules mm. changed. Oh, yeah, that was probably the worst part of it. Is yeah. Because um, at first, when we first got back on the road, you know, my, my group uh-huh. got back on the road, um, they were allowing one person to come mm-hmm. in with mm-hmm. them. But then once it got bad enough... You weren't even allowed in the building. Nobody, no, no waiting room, and they would be like, "Don't even, don't even be nearby. Go mm-hmm. home. Don't be here." Mm-hmm. And you would hear like it. One of the saddest outcomes I can think of mm-hmm. that, like, you send your loved one to the ER, you're only going to get one or two phone calls. Mm-hmm. Like, either come pick them up, or they're they not. didn't make it. Mm-hmm. You you have two weeks to claim the body. Uh-huh. Because that was happening too. They they couldn't keep them in the in the morgues. They you had two weeks. Otherwise, they went off to the like whatever the mass collection site was. Uh-huh. And like that's that's a horrible outcome. It's yeah. like you, you somebody and and especially in the case of that twenty four year old kid. Uh-huh. Like and they were even saying like what, what what do we say to his family? Like like they're like what what do you say? Like they, they, he was a healthy twenty four year old. He just was having some issues. What goes to the hospital and then the next call you get is. He's gone, and sorry, you still can't come in the building. Yeah, like that. It's that was one of the most awful things to think about. Uh-huh. Is just the the idea that like if this person doesn't pull through, mm-hmm. like the just the the horrible situation the family's gonna have to go through, and especially in in because I, I work in Bed Stuy, where it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of low income housing. Like you, you never know who who has prior arrangements. Like you you would see mm-hmm. funeral homes would pull up to the to ERs regularly mm-hmm. to to get. The, you know, bodies of mm-hmm. people's loved ones out and, and get the, uh, you know, the arrangements taken care of. But, like, 
what what if you didn't have that lined up? What if you didn't have the money to do something like that, and you, and you just don't know what to do? Uh-huh. Like or or the um, I I come on pawn houses all the time of elderly people who haven't seen their families in ages. Maybe mm-hmm. their families long since moved off, but because they lived their whole life in Brooklyn, they didn't want to relocate. Mm-hmm. You know, grandma or grandpa. And they've just been living there alone with a nurse that pops mm-hmm. in and in and out. If that person passes and the 911 crew gets called and let's say the aide doesn't speak any English or mm-hmm. something and you don't get an, a, a, an adequate amount of information, this person just went to the ER and died as John Doe. Unclaimed. Unclaimed. Uh-huh. And nobody knows. You, you would see like these. Uh, I saw a higher than usual also on... Um, I don't remember if it was New York One, one of the news channels. There was a, a lot of like missing elderly, uh-huh. and I, I it just kept occurring to me if like that may, if that, that very that situation person. was happening, uh-huh. like that person maybe maybe they hit their life alert button and they mm-hmm. went to the ER and just never made it, it. never made it. Maybe they were maybe the the uh, maybe the aide called but couldn't find their personal information. The crew just mm-hmm. went with inadequate uh, identification mm-hmm. and the ER had him as a John Doe or maybe with the wrong name uh-huh. and then all of a sudden this person passes in the ER and they still remain missing person that's it they're a missing person uh-huh. like that to me was, was really sad the idea that like a family would just be like somebody just disappears yeah. and that's it and then they can't they can't even uh, find out what happened yeah in all the chaos even the ones that know what's going on like you pick up uh, like grandma mm. and they know like this may be the last time that, you see yeah. them. That's, you know, and that's, that's even sad on a regular day. Like, yeah. even without COVID going on, you get a lot of elderly people afraid of the ER because uh-huh. they just, you can tell, like, like that they, they're, they're just looking like they're never going to see their house again. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, man. It's like, you, and you, you always hope that's not the case. You always try to reach, like, no, 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 don't worry yeah, about you it. You're going to go for a checkup, and then that's it, and you're going to go right back home. Yeah. But with all this stuff, like you, you really didn't know, and and you really didn't know somebody could be young and healthy, and you couldn't, mm-hmm. you couldn't, you know, tell anybody for sure. Yeah. So, so now you're you're back in medical school, right? Yes. Yeah. That just uh, they reinstated medical school last week. Uh, how do you feel about that after all this? Pretty good. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's like it's a weird start, and there was so much back, you know, it, like. Nothing's ever official until it's in black and white. So yeah. everybody, we heard we were probably going back. But mm-hmm. we also knew that that could be Changed. canceled at any time. Mm-hmm. So finally, it, it was almost like you don't really believe it until the day that it starts. And mm-hmm. then it started. And then it's just, but now we've been out for so long. We've been out for, well, I don't know, like three months, something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, it's... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not having too much of a problem picking it all up again. Uh-huh. But they're, they're they're doing these two weeks as just a nice, easy decompress <laughs> and go <laughs> get, go yeah, cool. review <laughs> yeah review the stuff that we did. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean the, the the one the one upside about waiting for at least for us in medical school uh-huh. is um, when the COVID thing happened, all hospitals immediately shut down all rotations. So oh, okay. our class was gonna they essentially were gonna have us do extra skills practice on dummies, which, you it's know, not the same that's thing. not the same. Mm-hmm. And they were also going to, they arranged for a, uh, a cadaver lab, oh. uh, which is still not the same, but better. Uh-huh. Um, but now that, uh, now that everything's calming down again, uh-huh. there's a chance that they're going to reinstate the, uh, some of the ER rotations oh, okay. and things like that. So we actually may wind up getting the experience that we should be getting uh-huh. for, for class. Well, another thing I want to ask you is it's, June. So mm. now these protests mm. are oh. going on. Yeah. And you've probably been working through the thick of it. Sure. How has it been? Um, I, I work predominantly during the days. Uh-huh. So there hasn't been too much when I was on uh-huh. uh, during the days. And, the, and what there was were just literal, just a protest. Just sometimes there'd be just be people marching down the street. Uh-huh. And it was fine. It just didn't disturb anything. Uh-huh. The... Um, some of the people who work overnight uh-huh. uh, would, would have more, you know, chaotic things happening like with them. But for the most mm-hmm. part, everybody, all the EM, they, they were having everybody EMS stay by the stations okay. um, for all these things. Uh-huh. So, so that they weren't out there on street corners where uh-huh. things could uh, turn bad. But some, a lot of people, you know. Because a lot of the people were getting hurt, things like that. There was a lot of people in the precinct. Sometimes they'd respond to a precinct, mm-hmm. and then the precinct would shut down, literally lock down. Mm-hmm. And then whatever unit was in there, it's like, well, 
we're in for, for, <laughs> for as long as it takes for them to open their doors again. Oh, you're like, you're stuck inside. Yeah, you're stuck time. inside. Right. And nine times out of 10, they would be like, oh, you know, like it, it just went, it went by nothing happened. And okay. Then they, they let us back out. There was one, the, the first night that the, the, it was getting bad. I knew one of my lieutenants was in a precinct that I don't. There was a lot of conflicting stories about what happened, but I know it was one of the precincts where the the police vehicles were getting destroyed, uh-huh. were getting set on fire. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they said it looked like they were going to set her command car on fire, but I guess somebody realized it said FDNY yeah. and left it alone. <laughs> the big red vehicle. The big red vehicle. Because it looked, somebody was like, like with the, the they, they had burned two police vehicles uh-huh. and then they, they were going to burn the fire one, but they, they left it, they left it be. So she ended up saying like, like oh, you know, everything was everything was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they everybody they were fine. But I I know a lot of people. I mean, I can't really speak to it as much as mm-hmm. too many others because, like I said, b- being on during the day, it was pretty much just like business as usual mm-hmm. uh, calls. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of protest related things that I was actually encountering in mm-hmm. like those last couple of weeks before we went back to mm-hmm. medical school. Yeah, I was working in Brooklyn doing community paramedicine. Oh yeah, and. There was a, you know, the curfew just got right. stated. Yeah, that too. So as I was, you know, yeah. working around the area and the time got closer towards the curfew, yeah. all you feel this uh-huh. tension in the in the area and on the streets. And we were like, all right, we got to shut down the, the yeah. community paramedicine response at this time because we're not going to get caught up in it. Right. No, no. Yeah. And it, no, it's true. And you just got to, you just pretty much got to make sure everybody's safe and everything. So. Yeah. What was the attitude of the populace to EMS at this time now? Because there's a lot of people who said we were, uh, EMS was considered heroes, at, you know, three weeks ago. And then all of a sudden <laughs> now we're being targeted. Do you, you think know, you're being targeted? You know what I, was actually reassuring to me? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know. I can't speak to other people's mm-hmm. experiences because yeah. I, I heard a wide variety of things from okay. all across the board. Uh. When COVID was going on, everybody was saying thank you. Uh-huh. There, there was all sorts of, there was, un, um, <clears throat> there, there was, uh, not only was it like donations from certain, uh, certain organizations, things like that, that mm-hmm. were coming in. People were making personal donations, like it, whether, whether it was just like some N95 masks, mm-hmm. things like people literally showing up with bags. Like, I don't know if you guys could use these, but I like, yeah, here, I think mm-hmm. you can use them more than me. So, like, people were really, really helping out, and, and people were, would wave and say thank you and things like that. But when that ended and the, the protests started beginning, at least in Bed-Stuy, a lot of the, the local people who we see, they never stopped saying thank you. Like, like, and, and it was almost like they, they knew, like, because there was... I had this one gentleman came up to me right, right outside my station, and it was, you know... A lot of the stuff is being chaotic and mm-hmm. people are worried like they got a target on the back. But people were coming up to me saying like, hey, man, I just want you to know, like, I, I really appreciate what you do. Oh. And like I see he's like, hey, you know, we, we, we appreciate you a whole bit. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> even with even with the police, I don't know if it was just the the community. Maybe they had good relations with certain mm-hmm. areas and, and whatever. But even when I was on jobs with police, like they, they would it was just during the day, at least mm-hmm. it was business as usual. It was just like the nobody seen there was no animosity uh-huh. definitely not towards us uh-huh. um but like i said i i can't i you definitely speak can't speak for everybody mm-hmm. i can only speak for like when <clears throat> with all that was going on we pretty much stayed confined to our local mm-hmm. area mm-hmm. there wasn't a <coughs> excuse me yeah there, there wasn't a whole lot of usually our my my unit runs all over brooklyn mm-hmm. we wind up like first call of the day it wasn't uncommon to be like go from bedside all the way to east new york mm-hmm. and then you're now you're down there so now you're mm-hmm. going you go over to crown heights then they, they call you over by you're zigzagging Park, then you're zigzagging all uh-huh. over and you end up so one day like we were up in i think we were on like flatbush avenue and they called us all the way down to like sheepshead bay like we would be all over <laughs> the borough like the entire uh-huh. thing but once all this started to happen like 99 percent of our jobs were right in bedside mm-hmm so I really only saw that one little spot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it, at least for us, it wasn't that bad. Like the, the, most of the people who call often, like we've seen them before. Like, okay. know, like I, I would get the repeated patients like over and over again and be mm-hmm. like, oh, I had like, you know, 
How's it going? How you doing? How's it going? Like, how you doing? Like, what's going uh-huh. on today? Uh-huh. Long time no see. So, right, exactly. And, and at least among those people that you'd see frequently, like, there's no animosity at all. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they know us on a more personal level than, uh-huh. um, than just, like, somebody who is in a bad situation and calling 911 for the first time. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that... I was lucky enough that it didn't really affect my, you know, yeah, my yeah. experience that uh-huh. much. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Yeah. All right, so we got to see what the future is going to bring. Of course. Now, yeah. what's your opinion on, like, a possible second spike in COVID cases? Uh, this is based on nothing <laughs> <laughs> except my own experience. Uh-huh. But I don't think it's going to be as bad in the areas that already got hit hard. Uh-huh. Because a lot of people already got exposed. And for at least from what I've seen... Mm-hmm. So, uh, take my my station, for example. Mm -hmm. A ton of people from my station went out sick, Mm -hmm. were COVID positive. Some of them were out for two weeks, some of them were out for a month. Mm -hmm. And they were legitimately sick in a Mm -hmm. a bad way. They've all come back. And as far as I know, I don't think anybody... I mean, like I said, I've been away for two weeks now. But I don't Mm -hmm. think anybody got sick again after that point. Uh That's like a small sample. Right, that's a small sample, Mm -hmm. sure. But there's a lot of areas where, like, it seems to have... Almost like how the flu does. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it kind of it goes through and uh-huh. passes by. And, like, maybe, I don't know whether that's herd immunity. I don't know whether that's maybe social distancing worked enough that uh, so true. few people have it that they're just not uh-huh. crossing paths anymore. And the ones that do now, a lot of people are wearing masks. Uh-huh. A lot of people are being careful. They are keeping away uh, back from uh-huh. each other, things like that. Um, I think when when we heard about the spikes in the news, a lot of these areas were areas that didn't really seem to get hit hard the first time. Uh-huh. So for them, it wasn't really a second wave. It was like some of these areas, this was their first wave. Mm-hmm. So like if, if a few people come out, a few people get sick, all it takes is, you know, those, those first few to get sick and spread it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it goes through the area like wildfire. Yeah. But I don't. I would hope that it doesn't come through New York again as badly as it did the first time. Uh-huh. But even if it did, every hospital now knows the drill. Like, they're all ready. They all know what to do. Like, every EMS crew, even, even after the, the, the main spike of COVID calls and we were getting people who were completely asymptomatic, I had an N95 on, on every job. Mm-hmm. I'm just because. Regardless. Regardless. I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't care. Uh-huh. I'm wearing, even if it's just, just one, and I'm going to reuse it all day long, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wearing this. And I also, I, I had a... Um, a personal respirator. It's it's a welding respirator, uh-huh. but it actually has P100 filters, uh-huh. which are you know the next step up actually from N95s. Uh-huh. So even if the, I didn't want to, like let's say there we didn't have a whole lot of N95s in the station, uh-huh. and I didn't want to waste one. I just throw the respirator on, uh-huh. and I had extra respirators for that thing. So worst case scenario, I could always replace it. So to me, I'm like I'm just going to wear respiratory protection on every single job. Yeah, I brought goggles in the event that somebody would be coughing or, uh-huh. or whatever. So. And, and most people I know were doing the exact same thing. So yeah. with everybody taking precautions, I would hope that it doesn't spike like it did the last time. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's a big reason. Like when everybody's unprotected and everybody's in each other's faces, like mm-hmm. that's when the thing just rips through everyone. Yeah. But these are like minor <clears throat> practices that could prevent sure. a giant spike. Right, yeah. right, right. So with everybody being a little bit more careful and everybody now really knowing how to handle it, and mm-hmm. I know we got a huge influx of extra supplies, which mm-hmm. so hopefully that stuff wouldn't dry up mm-hmm. uh, as quickly if there was a second wave. Given what you know now, mm-hmm. how are you thinking to prepare for the future? Um, isolation precautions, at uh, least at work, uh-huh. uh, I always are going to take more seriously. Like, I, I, I always... I always wore gloves on every job, uh-huh. but like I was one of those like I wouldn't put them on until uh-huh. I made patient contact. Oh yeah. yeah now yeah. it's like I put I'm putting them on before I enter a building. Like yeah. I'm just gonna wear them just in case because you don't know. Uh-huh. Like, whatever. And uh, I right away like as soon as I hop out of the truck, even if it's like like if it's a if it seems like it's nothing, like let's say somebody twisted their ankle, like it's an injury, I'll still throw on like a surgical mask and mm-hmm. bring like something bigger uh-huh. so in the event that you get there and it's like oh this person's hurt but also <clears throat> maybe this person's actually coughing or somebody else is coughing i'm just gonna i'm just gonna throw it on uh-huh. just to be you know more at least until 
until uh, we know what's going on and it's more of like, uh-huh. okay, this thing seems like it's done and it's not coming back. And you know, do you think we haven't figured it out yet? Uh, I n- not not really. I mean, I think we haven't figured out largely how to be safe from uh-huh. it. But I don't think I, I'm still reading conflicting reports of what people think COVID really is like what mm-hmm. its primary means of attack is like there's a lot of people who were saying it's respiratory mm-hmm. but then they were also saying that the ventilators ventilators are a pneumonia treatment and they're mm-hmm. like this isn't pneumonia like it's there's similar but mm-hmm. yeah there's the inflammation mm-hmm. but like this doesn't seem to like with pneumonia the fluid can get forced back into the tissues mm-hmm. of the lungs with a respirator whatever covid is it's not doing that it's just you know oxygenation of uh-huh. what's still there there's some people, I, I've read a few reports of doctors who are wondering if it's a, a vascular thing, if it's just attacking tissue itself, particularly mm-hmm. That's why uh, they're blood bringing vessels. up the microclots. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. The, so the, the, with the young people having microclots and strokes mm-hmm. and things like that, that's why they were wondering maybe it's a blood thing, maybe it's a blood vessel thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we have it figured out just yet. I mm-hmm. think that there's got a lot of research that's going to have to be done. Mm-hmm. But I th- I do think that we have a pretty good handle on how to be safe mm-hmm. from it. And I know that's not going to necessarily work for everybody. I know people who were safe every single time and got sick bad. Uh-huh. And I was lucky enough that I never got sick at all. Mm-hmm. I never even became symptomatic and, mm-hmm. and through all of it. And, and it, you had even people out there saying that, like, thinking that your blood type had something to do with it, which maybe, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we don't know too yeah, much about it. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's, it segregates your blood type. And yeah, exactly. It's only after certain ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Mark, thank you for uh, sitting down and having some coffee with me and uh, appreciate seeing you again. Yeah, absolutely. It's great seeing you, Jeff. Yeah, maybe, maybe our paths will cross more often. I, I hope. hope so. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do still. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, hopefully, and I think I, I'd like to get you back on uh, another podcast where we talk about the, the issue of medics going into fire. Uh-huh. That's a big topic I think I hear all EMS the time. EMS retention, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. Thank you, and, uh, yeah, well, well, let's have another cup of coffee. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee Chronicles, brought to you by the Black Six Coffee Trading Company. You can help support by visiting our website, black6coffee.org, and ordering yourself some of our specialty coffee. Tune in to the next episode of Coffee Chronicles, where we speak with coffee expert Juan Diego, a friend we made during our trip to Colombia, and has recently moved to New York City. For Pride Month, we'd like to share his story about growing up in Colombia as a gay man and experiencing the difficulties in coming out with his family what it took to find himself in another country. Stay tuned.